Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of our fellowship, as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. We're going to babble like Butterbur here for a few minutes. I'm going to check in with my brother over in Michigan, United States, Midway, Michigan, right? Midway. Somewhere, somewhere around there? Midland? <laughs> Midland. You Midland, know. Michigan. There it is. There it is. <laughs> All right, Seth. What's going on, man? How you doing? Hey, not much, buddy. I'm happy to be here to do this with you. I, I don't know. I've started looking forward to these when I thought it was going to be kind of a time suck. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they were. I was always looking forward to it, but I wasn't sure how it was going to fit in. You know, the amount of time that it takes to, you know, read this, read the information, summarize it, create the outline, record all that stuff. But it's actually become something I really look forward to. So I'm glad. I'm glad you came up with this idea. That's because you're not the one editing, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's not that hard to edit. Come on now. Yeah, it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So for me, honestly, uh, just another week in the book, second week on day shift. It's it's in a little bit of an adjustment still, but I'm getting the hang of it. I'm enjoying the routine. Um, I was able to actually play hockey last night, which was a lot hey. of fun. Haven't skated in a little bit. So walking this morning's little challenging gonna deadlift today normally friday is my force production friday is what we call it uh, for the deadlifts but i think i might push that off to tomorrow uh just (laughs) because my body's not functioning properly at the moment but other than that man amanda's good we're hanging out kind of you know watching the days tick by as she gets closer and closer to that mid-june delivery and things are coming together, but it's, it's a process. So Ariel was talking to me about this earlier. She's like, are you going to be like, you're going to be taking care of me? Like when I'm pregnant, you're going to be taking care of me when I like, has that been a difficult thing? Like I told, I said, of course I'll be taking care of you. Absolutely. Like I'll, I'll wait on you hand and foot. Is that actually a difficult thing? Is, is it like, <laughs> what should I expect here for, for, for future reference? That is a very broad question. <laughs> <laughs> And every, every pregnancy is different from what I've heard from all the women at work who love to chat my ear off about their pregnancies. Um, (laughs) I I mean, it can be draining at times for sure, but at the end of the day, I'm not the one that's throwing up multiple times a day. And I'm not the one that's, you know, got a bowling ball on the front of my belly and it's fair enough, you know, having a little parasite attached to me. That's literally sucking my lifeblood out of me. So, oh my gosh, that (laughs) that was very detailed. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, Amanda's doing the hardest work of, you know, growing, growing our little daughter and it's my job to just support in any way I can, but you know, it can definitely be tiring at times, but you know, it's, it's her job to grow the child. It's my job to provide for her and make it, you know, make it a possibility. That's fair. Very good. Yeah. So what did you, what did you tell Ariel? That exact thing. I said, I'm, I'm got you, babe. I'm going to be uh, taking care of you hand and foot waiting on you, whatever you need. I'm here. Okay. But again, it's easier okay. to say that than actually like, well, what I actually said, <laughs> I said, I'll do it. Um, but with some, uh, I'll, I'll resent it. I'll do it with resentment, you know, like I'll do it, but then like under my breath, be like, you could do this. <laughs> I was joking. Of course. No. She, yeah. Of course. It's a good thing that our wives know our senses of humor. Cause yeah. if they didn't, we'd be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> a lot of trouble. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Um, so what are you up to? Man, we've been good. I am in a new studio. I'm going to call this the upper room. And by that, I, I mean, mean, you've got the gray blanket matched up against the purple Rockies blanket. It's, <laughs> it's quite the vibe. Yes. Yeah. That's why we are not on video and only audio so that it, it sounds good and we don't have to see what's going on behind here. No, but yeah, we're good. Similar to you. Like I, I'm just really excited to, to do this. I've been looking forward to it every week and um, just even editing, editing is a lot of fun. Like I joke about it, but it is a lot of fun just kind of hearing us again and just cringing at how, you know, I, maybe I, I, I think I'm funny and I'm really not, or, you <laughs> know, like going ways. through. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a good time. Um, but yeah, we, we've been really good. Uh, we had students on Wednesday night and we had a, a big group of kids and a couple people who, who hadn't been there before in a long time. You know, I'd seen them at like the beginning of the semester and, and they hadn't been there in a while. And, and for whatever reason, they came up to me afterwards and like, Hey, your message like that, 
that was a really good message. Like I, mm. like I'm going to start coming back because of that. And I was like, what? Like I never get compliments on my messages. Like honestly, middle school and high schoolers, like it's, it can be a little discouraging. Like you can see as I'm teaching from stage, like, you know, I got 150 kids in here and I can see all the phones. I can see all the people, you know, messing sure. with each other, laughing with each other. And so it's just, you know, it's kind of disheartening at times, but you know, there was a moment I just actually told dad's story of the heart attack in 2017 mm. at the end of my message and just mentioned like, you know, what sets our faith apart is that hope that we have, you know, yeah. going, going from this, from this life and, you know, sitting in the waiting room, not sure what was going to happen, but knowing that we had that hope of where God was, uh, of where dad was, was going to go if that was the case. And so, you know, I had a lot of people like, wow, that was, that was good. Thank you for that. And so that was uplifting. Like that doesn't, I mean, obviously, obviously all glory to God, like that's not on me, but um, it's just cool when you have those kind of moments with your students. Um, yeah. But no, it's cool to, it's cool to know that you make a difference. And like you said, I'm, <laughs> I can only kind of compare it to like a, like a professor at a school or something where, you know, they're not really paying attention. You're trying to teach something that's important. That's important to you. It's important to their lives. Yeah. They're there for a reason but they're on their phones, they're messing around, they're goofing off, like you were saying. So mm. I'm glad that I'm glad that you were able to kind of strike a nerve with some of them. And that's, it must feel good to get that compliment. I'm glad you got that. Yeah. Again, it's, it's not about me and it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, there's a whole team around, you know, that works on Wednesday nights to make it happen. My volunteers and production and music and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's definitely encouraging and it, just kind of gives you a bit more endurance to finish out the semester. Cause we only have three more weeks until we head to the beach. And yeah, I was going to say until vacation season, <laughs> it's not vacation. I'm going to be in charge of a hundred students going to the beach. And that's just my students. We'll have over 450 students from our church going to the beach, Oh wow! but I have a hundred students, three buses worth going from Kentucky to Florida with bus stops and, you know, trying to make sure kids aren't airdropping bad pictures to each other. Cause that happened last time. And like, oh, it's geez. just, yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a hoot, but yeah, so we're gearing up for that season, but otherwise, yeah, we've been we've been really good. Ariel's been uh, super awesome. She loves her baking job. Uh, keeps bringing home desserts. Bacon or baking? Baking job. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> she's bringing home the bacon in a sense because she's working two sense. jobs. There you go. I mean, there you, you know, go. it's yeah. it's uh it's pretty amazing. I'm really proud of her. She's she's pushing hard and and it it's cool seeing her do something she enjoys, but also get a little revenue from it. It's nice. Yeah, for sure. It's that picture you sent me of the cinnamon rolls. I assume that was from her bakery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, honestly, the closest cinnamon rolls I've ever had to mom's, the icing was a little different, but the dough inside tasted almost the exact same. It was, it was gooey. It was thick. It was, I mean, it was oh, so good. Man, so good. I, I miss those. Those, yeah. You're making me hungry now. That's, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Let's, uh, no, that's awesome. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to Riddles in the Dark. Riddles in the Dark, each. Week we bring a new riddle, or uh, rather, more so a, a joke or a pun that we try to stump the other person with. And so far, I am winning with one point. <laughs> and by point, I mean I got one of the riddles correct um, against Seth. So I'll start. I've got it's it's more of a pun, but what do you call an introverted hobbit? Jeez, what do you call an introverted hobbit? Yeah. You know, a hobbit that doesn't like talking to people, doesn't want to go out to the green dragon and have a pint, you know, doesn't want to have any uh, long bottom leaf smoking buddies. He's just mm. content with his gardening and reading his books in his hobbit hole. Doesn't like seeing people. You're overthinking end- this. You're overthinking <laughs> I, this. <laughs> I know I am. I guarantee it. It's I'm, I'm like a sack Bill Baggins. I don't know. Well, um, <laughs> they just like to complain though. True. Hmm. An introverted hobbit. I don't know. I don't know. They're shyer folk. <laughs> okay. Hey, okay. See, I told you. I told I'll, you. You're overthinking you it. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely should. But does that imply that all hobbits are introverted? I mean, well, I mean, if I could spell it out, it would be like they're shyer folk no, I, with yeah. a Y. Right, well, but then it's right. the pun. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's no, that's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate All right. the compliment. All right. This is one that you'll probably get, honestly, but I thought it was kind of funny. Extend my um, lead. Yeah, you would keep score of that. All right. Why was it so hard to storm Sauron's lair? Why was it so hard to storm Sauron's lair? Hmm. 
He doesn't really have a layer. I mean, Sheila what? has a layer. Okay. It, okay. His, <laughs> his, 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 his place of residence. I don't know. <laughs> his, um, <laughs> why was it so hard to, cause there was a big old black gate. I, um, I mean, you're not far off. You're on. You're on the uh, right okay. It's Hold a pun. On. It's a Hold pun. Got to get past the mouth of Sauron. I, 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 I got nothing. I can't believe it. <laughs> I can't believe it. Okay. Well, to be completely honest with you, Sam, it's because no matter how many you open, there's always more door. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was like, I can't say more door because that gives away the. Okay. The I was wondering why you didn't say it. Okay. Wow. <laughs> That's why right. I came up with place of residence <laughs> <laughs> instead of saying the name of it. That is really funny. That is that, good job. That's a good one. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Let's dive into the meat and potatoes. Seth, what are we talking about today? Yeah. So last week we talked about the Valar and kind of broke down uh, each of them and what their roles were um, and what they're known for, their abilities, all that fun stuff. So today we're, we're going to briefly talk about the Maiar and the enemies um, of, of the Valar and the Maiar, which uh, the Maiar are actually the uh, kind of like a lower ranking Valar. Um, they're of the same order. They came down to Arda with the Valar, um, but they were sent down to be uh, considered like helpers and servants of the Valar. So they were going to do, you know, the bidding of the Valar, but they're of the same order, I guess you'd say. Um, so Tolkien describes them as the number is unknown and they are rarely seen by the children of Iluvatar. So the elves, especially, they actually lived with the Valar in Arda and Valinor at the beginning. Um, so they knew the Valar, right? Right. Um, but the, the Maiar, they really didn't get to see them a whole lot. They don't know how many of them there are. So it's really just kind of an interesting twist on, on the Valar here. Um, so I figured we'd just kind of go through uh, a few of them that are named in the, in the Silmarillion at the very beginning of the story. Real quick. Uh, yeah. I'm curious. Like I was reading through, cause obviously we're taking a lot of this information from kind of the prologue portion of the Silmarillion. Um, there's no mention of really how they were created. Is there, I mean, I'm obviously it was probably a part of the singing and, and stuff too, but like, do we know well, how they came to be? I imagine that they, because they're of the same order as the Valar, that when Eru created the Valar, he created them at the same time. Yeah. Um, so I don't, the, I don't think the Valar created the Maiar necessarily. Sure. I think, I think they're um, still part of Eru's creations. Yeah. They just sucked at singing and couldn't be a part of the the harmony. <laughs> potentially, potentially. Okay. I, right. I think, I think, they were kind of the Valar were designed to create the world. And then the Maiar were created to help the Valar maintain mm. and service the world. Yeah. If that makes okay. sense. That's kind of how I, how I envision yeah. it. Yeah. I yeah. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and jump into a couple of them. We're just kind of going to kind of go back and forth like we did with some of the Valar. Um, so there's, there's two that are pretty well known. These are considered the, the greatest, the chief Maiar, if you will. Uh, and the first one is Marie, uh, I believe is how it's described. She's actually the handmaid of Varda. Um, so if you remember, Varda was Manway's wife. She was uh, known for her ability to bring light uh, to the darkness and she could hear the woes of Arda. So she was able to be gifted with that that great hearing and she enhanced manway's ability to see far and wide when they were together so that's who who varda is and ilmarie is just her handmaid unfortunately there really isn't much in there about her i wasn't able to find a whole lot on her on tolkien gateway either um but she's just known as one of the chief Maiar who is held in deep reverence by the elves that's kind of the blurb that you get about her yep so then jumping on to Yanwe, uh, he is actually, there's a fair amount more about him. He's a bigger player, but he's the kind of second chief Maiar, and he's the banner bearer and herald of Manway. 
Um, and he's described as, as one whose might is unsurpassed by any in Arda. So that's not necessarily saying he's the strongest or anything, but he was the most skilled with weapons. He was the greatest warrior mm-hmm. in all of Arda. And he was actually known for a handful of different things. So at the beginning of the second age, he actually came to Middle Earth and taught the, the faithful houses of men um, many things and bless them with wisdom, power, and longer lifespans. Uh, these are the same men that later became the high men of Numenor, uh, which is the very line that Aragorn eventually, eventually came from. Yes. Da, 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 da. <laughs> um, another thing that he did, we spoke briefly uh, last week about Ariandel uh, and his bringing of the Silmarill to Valinor. Um, he was actually the first one to greet Arendelle on the on the shores of Amman during the the book. He actually the rest of the Valar were off at a festival, and Arendelle shows up, and he's like, "Where the heck is everybody?" <laughs> so Aeonwe uh, uh, actually finds him, greets him, and then he leads him to Manway for uh, his petition to save Middle Earth from Morgoth, or sorry, Melkor. Yeah, careful, <laughs> not Morgoth yet. Jeez. Um, so he's he's done a bunch of different things. He uh, he was also sent to Middle Earth to fight during the War of Wrath, which is when the Valar actually. So this is after Arendelle lands on the shores of Amman and petitions all the Valar, like, "Hey, <laughs> did you forget about us? We could use some help here." <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he actually went and fought and was actually the one who overthrew Melkor, mm-hmm. which is which is pretty fascinating. That's, to me. that's a big feat. That's a very yeah. big feat. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, Manway coming through and putting his brother in a headlock or anything like that. It was <laughs> it was uh his herald and you know banner bearer that actually ends up coming and and defeating him. Yeah, I love that. So after that, he actually took there were two remaining Silmarils out of the three that Morgoth still had, sorry, Melkor still had in in possession, and he took those and he was gonna take them back to Valinor. Um, but the sons of Feanor, who we can get into at another time, uh, when we kind of dive into what the Silmarils are, the sons of Feanor basically swore an oath to, at all costs, get these back. And even after the War of Wrath, there's only two of them out of seven that are still alive. And they're arguing back and forth, like, we, like, we have to fulfill our oath. Our oath will come after us if we don't. And the other one's like, yeah, but we don't want to go against the the Valar and like the good guys have won, like, let's let it go. And ultimately they decide to go ahead and try to steal them. And they do, they slay the guards and steal the Silmarils. And Yanwe actually, he doesn't allow them to be slain. He lets them go. Uh, He, he says like, basically that's beyond me. That's not my decision. I'm not going to kill the children of, uh, of Ilavatar. So he actually lets them go see a lot of those stories of like kind of pity and reverence for for people in those kind of situations like the children of Ilavatar. like that's not my place to take that life we see that kind of throughout Tolkien's works and I think maybe that's kind of stems from his you know his time in the war you know I wonder if there were times when he had an opportunity to to, to kill a German or to kill somebody else and just been like ah, I can't do that yeah I mean I don't know I don't there's not necessarily any direct you know, memoirs of that, that I know of, but I'm sure he heard stories of people not taking pity and just killing for the fun of it. We see characters like that. And I'm sure there's other people he saw that were like, no, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't kill that kid. You know, he's 18. He doesn't even know what he's fighting against. And there's probably some of that in his works too. Yeah, no, I, I completely, I could completely see that for sure. Another interesting thing that Yanwe did is uh, after he takes out uh, Melkor and overthrows him, Sauron, who's we all know and love uh, from the Lord of the Rings, and he's the major player of the second and third age. He was he was Melkor's servant, right? So, and we'll get into him a little bit later. I know Sam, you're going to speak on him, but basically, Sauron sued for peace and and asked for pardon of all his deeds and apologized for you know all the destruction that he wrought, and basically was saying I was just doing it because I was following. Melkor and I got corrupted, right? Yep. Yeah. And Ianwe says, again, that's not my call to make, but mm. you need to come back with us to Valinor to where Manway will judge you. And then 
you know, Mandos will have his, the doom of Mandos, you know, that's, that's judged by Manway, that whole process of judgment. And so he's like, you got to come back with us. And Sauron actually goes, Oh crap. (laughs) I don't like the sound of that. And he, he flees, he, he dips out, he runs and hides and they can't find him. So he does that um, a lot. He does that a lot. lot. He actually does. (laughs) Um, Kind of a coward. In a lot of ways. Yeah, Yeah. actually. Um, but yeah, that's Yanway. He again is the the banner bearer and herald of of Manway, and he's he's an interesting character. I I liked him. All right, next one we find is Ose. Uh, he was the chief vessel of Ulmo, if you remember Ulmo, as the Lord of the Waters and the Masters of the Sea. So Ose was his chief vessel, and he doesn't really go to the depths of the sea. He doesn't visit that. He likes the coastlines. He likes staying close to shore. But what is interesting is he loves the winds that Manway creates and he delights in storms. So, you know, he just kind of likes wreaking havoc. He, he likes to see what happens with uh, the craziness of, of the powers likes, of the water and the yeah, sea. He, like, he likes the power. The power yeah. is what he really, really enjoys. Yeah, definitely. And in the early days, um, obviously, like we, we see the power of the sea and Melkor hated it because he couldn't subdue it. He hated the seas because he couldn't control them, um, which is, is incredible because, yeah, you go to the beach and you you look at the vastness of, of the waters of the ocean and you're like, holy cow, like this is like I'm so small in comparison to the waves that are coming oh, in for and, sure. and the powers of the sea. And so, yeah, Melkor hated hated the seas. He wanted to control them. He couldn't. And uh, he actually tried to convert Ose to his side. He tried to like charm him and be like, hey, man, you can you, you know, you, you have some power over the seas. Like, why don't you come to my side? Why don't you help me out with the with my stuff? Um, he actually even promised him the position of Olmo um, if he were to join him, which again is not his to give. Um, just it seems like yeah. that's a, a theme with within like evil. You know, you see them promising things that they can't actually follow through with. That's a fantastic point. I think that's true in you know everyday life. You know, yeah. here in this this real world, uh, just as true as it was in Tolkien's you know reality. Definitely. Um, but thankfully, my man, Aule, <laughs> through the prayer of Aule, um, he, he resisted Melkor and actually Uenin resisted him and brought him before Ulmo. Um, and then Ulmo pardoned him and returned him to his allegiance to which he remained faithful. So, you know, he was like leaning towards Melkor and then Aule, my man, uh, prays and, and then Uenin restrains him, his his wife, who I'll get to here in a second. And uh, he remains faithful to to Ulmo. Um, but he's still, even, even though he's faithful, he still delights in the, in the violence of the storms um, because again, he loves power. He loves to see something that cannot be subdued, just kind of wreck havoc. Um, and he chases, you know, he chases after the storm, kind of like a, kind of like an addict, you know, an addiction to, to power, wanting to find it anywhere he can and get that high. Um, but his wife or spouse, I should say, Uenin is known as the lady of the seas. And it's actually said that her hair lays spread through all the waters under the sky. So she takes delight in the creatures of, in, in salt streams and all the weeds that grow there. And uh, the mariners cry to, to have her calm the waves, which is interesting. You have just the contrast of Ose, who's like, ah, I'm going to bring up bigger waves. And then, you know, you've got Uenin, his, his spouse is like, hey, honey, bring it down a notch. <laughs> so just, 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 you're okay, calm down. And, and so, you know, the, you got, you know, fishermen and, and mariners who are like, ah, we, we prefer a little bit more of the Uenin side of, of the sea um, mm-hmm. to, to kind of restrain those waves. Um, but the Numenorians uh, lived in Uenin's protection. We'll get into the Numenorians here uh, probably in a future podcast. Um, but the men, they, they lived in her protection and Uenin is making sure that uh, her husband Ose doesn't, you know, flood it, which we uh, actually see something bad similar to that in future chapters. <laughs> yeah, it's not I'll say that does it, but that yeah, is it's not it's not the ultimate that. fate of Numenor. Um yeah. yeah, I I I thought that when I was reading through these that these two characters are very interesting because it's a very kind of masculine energy, kind of like with with Tolkis and his yep. wife, I forgot her name. Um but it's the same type of thing with the very masculine energy and then the very feminine energy where, you know, the feminine energy brings kind of brings calm to the storm and brings, you know, and peace balance, where, yeah. and balance to, to the masculine energy, which is necessary as well. You know, you, you need to have storms, you need to have, you know, 
water flowing from one place to the next. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's power on both sides. If you think about it, like it's obviously it takes a lot of power to create these storms, but it also takes a lot of power to subdue those storms. And so even though, you know, Uinen is, you know, you might think, oh, she's more, the, more calming presence. It still takes a lot of power to create that calm. You know, you think of people who are peacekeepers who keep the peace by, you know, making sure they're not disrupting things or just always complimenting and not actually confronting issues. And then you got peacemakers rather than keepers who actually like, no, I'm going to do something to make sure peace can happen. So I'm going to actually fight for it. And that's kind of how I see the the contrast of Uinen and Ose is like, she has to kind of fight against him and, and overpower him in a sense to calm the seas. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that she's the one that also brought him back to the light when he started to, yeah. when he started to, you know, drift towards Melkor, he started kind of getting that lust for power and like, mm-hmm. okay, okay. I could, I could, I could see myself at, you know, at the top of the tower and out on yeah. uh, uh, Mo's job. I, I could do that. I could see myself doing this. And she's actually the one that, that kind of reels him back in through the prayers of Aule. Um, yeah. I can't tell you which, how many times Ariel is, pulled me away from situations that I, I didn't need to be a part of. <laughs> yeah. And that's given me very wise counsel and redirected me to be like, Hey, that's not you, man. That's not you. And that's why it's, you know, it's marriage is a beautiful thing. And having, like I said, that masculine energy and that feminine energy, one's not more powerful than the other. They're, they're equally powerful, but they're mm-hmm. a different type of energy, a different type of power. Absolutely. So the next, uh, my here that we're going to jump in, into uh is her name is melian she's a huge player during the history of the silmarils um she's actually one of my favorite i really i really enjoy all of the excerpts with her in it throughout the story but she's actually one of the most well known and this is um because she did something that others uh of the Maiar order don't do if you remember at the beginning of this episode we mentioned that they were rarely seen by the children of Vilavatar. Um, so what she did is she actually fell in love with an elf, an elven king named Thingol, who was the king of Doriath, which is a beautiful elven kingdom in Middle Earth. So she's not even over here in Valinor anymore. She is in Middle Earth dealing with the woes of Melkor because she's actually married to one of the children of Vilavatar. Yeah, is that that's the first kind of cross that we get, like the first major cross between beings or or I don't want to say races, but like beings of different power. I mean, and that's a big play as we continue along in the in the Silmarillion. Yeah, um, exactly. Luthien, Aragorn and Arwen, like just kind of relationships that are unorthodox and maybe even sh- like shamed or or looked down upon, but actually create um, amazing things for for the people involved. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. When you um, look at the genealogies and stuff, the marriage between Thingol and, um, and Melian is kind of the very roots of that tree that starts sprouting all the people that you just mentioned. So um, before coming to middle earth, she actually tended the trees of of Ivana and Este uh, and she dwelt in Lorien. So if you remember Lorien was that kind of the loner side where it was like, if I'm remembering correctly, the, how did they describe it? Kind of like a getaway, like an oasis yeah, for yeah. the Valar. Yeah. Um, so she tended those trees and fountains and kind of helped in that way. Cause remember the Maiar are supposed to be kind of the servants of, mm-hmm. of the Valar. Um, but then she actually came to middle earth, like I said, and married Thingle. And during her time in middle earth, she was known for her farsightedness and wisdom. And she helped protect Thingle's kingdom of Doriath through what they called the girdle of Melian. Um, and that was a very well-known thing throughout all of, all of middle earth during this time, um, which was like a, like an invisible fence kind of thing where nothing that was less powerful than Melian could enter without Melian's, without her blessing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and this yeah. isn't, a, this isn't an entirely hundred percent stronghold that, you know, nothing can get through, but it kept out, you know, the orcs and the rampages and stuff like that. But she actually at one point came out and said that it's, she prophesied that stuff is going to start getting through. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately due to the arrogance of her husband, uh, Thingle, that protection definitely didn't last and kind of brought the, the downfall of Doriath and to where they were ultimately slain later on in the Silmarillion. But 
Um, she's also known for being the mother to Luthien. So just like Sam had mentioned, um, this is the very same Luthien from the Baron and Luthien story. And she was actually, like I said, we're tying this into the Lord of the Rings a little bit. She was the great grandmother to Elrond and Elros. So Elrond, as you know, from Lord of the Rings, he's, he's in charge of Rivendell. He's known as the wisest, the healer. He has one of the rings of power. Mm -hmm. Um, He's, you know, he's awesome. I love Elrond and Elros is actually his brother. And when they were, when they were kids, they were given the choice. Do you want to be of the firstborn or do you want to be of men? And Elros actually decided I want to be men. And he's the one that was the very pinnacle of the race of Numenor. So the high Kings of men. So he became a man, had the fate of men, um, but they were blessed with long life and wisdom and knowledge beyond anything of the men of middle earth. So Mm -hmm. just kind of a fun tie in there. Yeah. I like it. And she's actually really good friends with Galadriel who spent a lot of time in Doriath during the, I believe it was the second age first and actually first age. And then I, some, yeah, I think she went over the mountains around this time of the second age starting. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, Galadriel spent a lot of time in Doriath and was a close friend of Melian and Melian actually instructed her in the making of Lembus bread. Um, so Sam, what, what's Lembus bread? Oh gosh. Lembus bread is that wonderful bread that the elves make that <clears throat> just one small bite is enough to fill the stomach <laughs> of a grown man. Um, the hobbits, however, at least uh, <laughs> Peter Jackson trilogy, Ganon, the hobbits. Uh, <laughs> there's that famous line, Mary and Pippin, like how many loaves did you have? <clears throat> four <laughs> and he's like picking his teeth out yeah yeah yep, yep. and so then the legolas left. just like takes off a little small bite puts it in his mouth he's like oh cool and puts it back in his in his pack <laughs> um, but limbus actually did play a really big role um with frodo and sam obviously as we know yep. moving through their their travels to mordor uh, to destroy the ring like that's what they lived on for uh, quite some time obviously had some provisions from faramir and other things like that but the majority of what they ate was was limbus so yeah thanks million so yeah, I mean, it just goes all the way back. And in Tolkien's world, this is thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So yep. it's pretty freaking cool that, you know, Melian instructed Gladriel in the making of this bread. And then years and years and years later, she's using that bread to save Middle Earth again. Right. So, yep, absolutely. Um, another thing that she did was she was incredible at singing and in creating enchantments through songs. And she actually passed a little bit of this power down to Luthien, her daughter. And that's seen in pretty epic ways. Luthien's super awesome. Yeah, Luthien, yeah. Luthien is pretty dang cool, but she passed that on to her daughter, Luthien throughout all of her adventures and travels and uh, stuff like that. So yeah, she, she did a ton more. She literally sings a giant wolf to sleep. Like that's, that's epic like using oh, those yeah. enchanting abilities. And I mean, uh, we can get into it later, but like, like even Sauron and, and Melkor too, she was able to just like sing to yep. sleep. It's yep. crazy. Yep. She was an enchantress of the finest degree. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's, that's Melian. She did a lot more throughout the histories of the Silmaril. She's brought up often. And every time she's brought up, she's just speaking with wisdom and understanding and farsightedness in ways that even her husband, who's, considered one of the wisest of elves he he still can't match her wisdom and understanding because she is of the same order as the valar um so she's she's pretty cool i really like her yeah she plays some some really big parts moving forward in the story uh next we have olorin olorin is described he's the wisest of the Maiar, and he also dwelt in Lorien during his time in Amun. And from Nienna, he learned pity and patience, uh, which, uh, if you remember from our last podcast, Nienna played a really big role of of kind of feeling the grievances of Melkor's evil, and people would be able to pray to her and get that endurance and hope and wisdom. And so it's it's actually really important for him to spend time and learn this this trait from from Nienna to, to learn that pity and that patience. Cause um, he, he uses it very, very much uh, moving forward, but the, the Silmarillion doesn't have a whole lot to say about Olorin. Um, his to- stories are told elsewhere and he's one of the, the biggest players of the third age, which consists of, you know, the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. But during his time in Lorien, he went unseen among the elves 
or or even disguised himself as one of them. So he wanted to walk with them, but he didn't want to, you know, have the the fame of like, oh, that's Maiar, <laughs> you know. So he right, right. was very, uh, yeah, very disguised and wanted to hang out with them without the the fame. But yeah, the, he actually gave visions and promptings and, and wisdom into their hearts again under that disguise. And the elves are like, "Where's this coming from? This is awesome." And he's just like, "Yeah, you know, it's me hanging out in the back." He doesn't he doesn't need the fame. He doesn't like the you know the a big. He doesn't like making a big show. Well, yeah, he never. He likes he making never... one big show, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, touche. He never he never seeks out the the validation for yeah. for his acts. You know, he kind of reminds me of Aule in a in a way where he's mm-hmm. like he's doing all these things, but he's not doing it for himself. He's doing it for the people he's doing it for, or for the act of doing it. He yep. gets enjoyment out of just you know, quite frankly, being a good guy. Yep. Uh, during the latter days, he was a friend of all the children of Ilavatar. So if you remember the children of Ilavatar, those are elves and men specifically. But he took pity on their sorrows and those who listened to him awoke from the despair and were put away from the imaginations of darkness. That's a little quote from from Tolkien there. And that, again, speaks to the importance of his time with Nienna and making sure that he understood what pity was and understanding that sorrow. Um, but here's a quote in Two Towers about him. Um, he actually says this. Many are the names in my countries. Mithrandir among the elves. Tharkon to the dwarves, Olorin, I was in my youth in the west that is forgotten, in the south, Encantus, or Encanus, uh, in the north, Gandalf, to the east, I go not. <laughs> so if you hadn't already guessed, guys, it's Gandalf, he's he's uh, Olorin, and he is one of the Meyer, he's the wisest Meyer of them all, which is incredible, because when we see him in Lord of the Rings as Gandalf, uh, Gandalf the Grey, Mithrandir, he's doesn't seem to be the wisest, at least in the Fellowship of the Ring. You know, you've got Saruman, who is considered the wisest of his council. Gandalf even says that. He says Saruman is the wisest of this white council. And so Saruman supposedly had more power and more wisdom than, than Gandalf. And, and yet Gandalf humbled himself and put him under his, his authority, which, as we see, maybe wasn't the best decision. <laughs> um, but again, it goes back to his, he just doesn't like, you know, he, he doesn't want all the, the fame and the glory. He, he's just there to help out. But he does like one show, and that's making some dang good fireworks. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah, he's. Yep. I think it's really interesting just how Tolkien ties things together because, yeah, that's literally his only mention in the Silmarillion is like less than a paragraph about what he was yep. like in, you know, in Valinor and Amon and on the in the West, and then next thing you know, he's one of the main protagonists of the entire Third Age, and without him. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure Aragorn at the end of the, the return of the King says something along the lines of, um, this isn't my victory. This is Gandalf's victory for he's been the mover of all the deeds throughout the battle against Sauron or something to that extent. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I can't quote it necessarily, but I just read it. Yeah. He pretty much gave, gave credit to Gandalf where credit was due because this was Gandalf's fight to, to fight, you know, and he was actually like, that was his job was to make sure Sauron was defeated um, for good this time and yep. uh, actually vanquished from middle earth. And that was, that was his whole reason for being there. That's why he unveiled himself um, was to protect, yep. to protect the people. But um, as we see, you know, later on, he, he loves the hobbits. And again, he loves that lifestyle of just that ease and carefree and, you know, let's just, let's just hang out and smoke some, uh, smoke boats, <laughs> <laughs> which not necessarily in the book, but uh, you know, it's hey, a little liberty there. Yeah, no, that was, I mean, that was one of my favorite scenes is Bilbo does the huge old smoke ring and Gandalf sails a boat through it. But again, yeah. I mean, even just that is, is a cool tie into Valinor and, and to looking at like the sea and just off mm. into the West, taking a boat into the West, which I never made know, that connection. That's, that's a good connection. I like that. I think, I think PJ did a lot of that, like really small undertones. I mean, I actually heard this from a different podcast I was listening to, but even when Sam says by right, by no rights, we shouldn't even be here in Osgiliath. Mm-hmm. Like that's Peter Jackson saying, yeah, they weren't actually here, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, but you know, he says it so subtly, like it's, you don't even think about it, but they made that connection. I was like, Oh yeah, that probably was Peter Jackson. Um, yeah, that's hilarious. But yeah. Yeah. That's pretty funny. So then yeah. that, uh, I was, I was just going to make one yeah, more point on, on Gandalf here. Um, he a- actually was really apprehensive and they don't get into this in the Silmarillion. It's actually in the Unfinished Tales. There's a little blurb about Gandalf. Um, but he was very apprehensive to come to Middle-earth in the first place. He didn't want to. He was actually scared of Sauron. 
He was scared of him. He was the wisest. And so he knew what Sauron was capable of and he was scared and didn't want to come. And they basically said, the Valar basically said, no, this is your big task. Remain true to it. Now go. Yeah. So it just kind of, it speaks to the type of character that he was, you know? Definitely. And I, I'm curious too, like, I just remembered um, from reading the return of the King as you know, the Gandalf is saying goodbye to the hobbits before they get to the scouring of the Shire and having to defeat Saruman again. Mm-hmm. He says, I need to go have a talk with Tom Bombadil, one of which I've <laughs> never had before. And I was yeah. like, what do you mean, Tolkien? What is this conversation? <laughs> Can we please be a fly on the wall for this conversation? Because Tom Bombadil is a huge mystery. Like if you haven't read the books, he's not in the movies, unfortunately, but he is, you know, he actually plays a, a decent part in the fellowship of the ring. He saves the hobbits and, and he's just this carefree guy who has yep. like, he puts the ring on, he, nothing happens. He holds it like he, he has no effect. The ring has no effect on him. And he's, you know, lives with his wife, Goldberry, who is just his entire world. And he loves all living creatures and things like that. And so I'm wondering like, who is this guy? Like, is this just Illavatar chilling out on middle earth and, and like, doesn't <laughs> care about anything. And Gandalf's like, I need to go talk to this guy. Cause I finished my task send me back. I, I mean, I don't know. Like, no, that's just such that's, an interesting little tidbit that Tolkien put in and doesn't yeah. explain at all. Which is kind of nice. Cause it leaves room for, you know, your interpretation, you get to guess, but Tom Bombadil is like the greatest enigma of all these stories. Tolkien goes into depth on every single character to the extent where it's so hard to follow. Yeah. But then there's Tom Bombadil who's just kind of there. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting point that you say like, yeah, he needs to go have a chat with them, the likes of which he's never had. And it's like, can, can we can we know what this is about, please? Like, yeah, cool. please explain that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's an interesting um, tie in. Thank you. Yeah. But anyway, that's that's Gandalf. Um, great guy. Great wizard as we get into. And then obviously you can't have a good story without the bad guys. So looking at the enemies, every bad guy or creature stems from Melkor, which is interesting. You know, again, we talked about this last podcast is there's a lot of Valar, you know, there's a lot of the Ainur, um, and yet there's only one Melkor, one bad guy, and yet he is able to bring people to his side or create um, these these bad beings and stuff like that. So Melkor was was feared so much by the elves, the children of Elavatar, that they didn't even want to speak his name, which, I mean, if you are wondering, that sounds familiar. Well, you probably have seen Harry Potter, <laughs> he who shall not be named, right? I mean, yep. uh, it kind of speaks to, you know, Tolkien being the front runner of fantasy of, you know, modern fantasy and how so many different really good fantasy has stemmed from a lot of his original ideas. You know, even the yep. Silmarils are very similar to the Holcruxes and, um, you know, Gandalf put, or Sauron putting his power into the ring, you know, having to destroy that to destroy Sauron, having to destroy the whole crux, whole cruxes to destroy Voldemort. You know, it's right. a lot of a lot of tie-ins that people probably don't recognize. Um, but yeah, so the the elves are afraid of him. Obviously, Tolkien describes from splendor. Melkor fell through arrogance to contempt for all things to save himself, a spirit wasteful and pitiless. So he I squandered. I, just, I was just going to say that quote is applicable to everybody in every situation in life today. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a warning Um, Uh, from splendor. He fell through arrogance to contempt for all things, save himself, a spirit wasteful and pitiless. That's, that's a warning to everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he had it all. He was, he had the splendor and and yet through arrogance and only caring about himself, he, (laughs) a wasteful spirit. I mean, that's, that's not what you want. That's not what you want. Yeah. Um, but he squandered his strength in violence and tyranny, wanting kingship over the world in Manway. As we heard last uh, podcast, Manway has that kind of kingship throne. He doesn't really use it as much uh, as a throne. And Melkor's like, no, I want to use that as, as a throne. Um, but Tolkien says he became a liar without shame. So very similar to the description of, of Satan. You know, he's... He was a liar from the beginning is what we hear from the Bible is, is about Satan. And Tolkien says, yeah, this guy can just, he can tell you a lie and doesn't care. It has no effect on him, which, you know, yeah. growing up in a Christian household, I, I struggle telling a lie, even, even like a, a, to tease somebody or to joke or something like, it's still like, I feel that consciousness yeah. like, oh, that was, you know, I shouldn't lie about that. Even right. when I get you pulled always- over, you know, like, oh, do you know how fast <laughs> you were going? Well, uh, you know, I think I was probably going, <laughs> I, I just like, no, tell the truth. Uh, but yeah, it's, 
he, well, he just has no shame. And it goes right back to the conversation about Ose and how he straight up was lying to him. Like, like you had yeah, mentioned, yeah. he was offering him something that he didn't have the ability to give him. He was yep. lying without shame to try to win him over to his side. Absolutely. And I, f- I found this really interesting too, is that uh, Melkor, he desired light, the capital L light that we see mm. um, Ilavatar have, and yet he received darkness. That's what he lived in. He lived in darkness. And yeah. all those who followed him, followed him were drawn to that darkness and to his greatness and were corrupted into service, uh, into serving him. And he, he, he lied and he gave treacherous gifts. That was his thing. You know, he'd, he'd give things to people and, and lie to them. And it's, it's just nuts. Um, yeah. But the, the enemies, um, stuff we'll talk about here in a sec, but the, the Valorakar, is that right? Is that right? The Valorakar? Yeah. Uh, that's how I would say it. I, I made a little note here because it's interesting how Tolkien used language. I mean, obviously, we know he was brilliant when it came to language. Like this mm-hmm. dude could speak many different languages. He created like three different complete languages. So he knows how to how to put different letters to make you feel something. So the Valar sure. sounds really pretty, sounds really cool, sounds almost kind of like majestic. Like, oh, the Valar, that sounds, you know, very, very sounds high. Yeah, it sounds high. high. Yeah. Absolutely. It sounds yeah, very really good and and pure. And then you have the Valarakar, that hard R, that hard K, um, even with Melkor, you know, you have all the yeah. other wor- the other names of the beings and Melkor, like you just get that hint of like, ooh, I don't know if I trust this guy, just simply by how he wrote these languages and, and used these letters, which is fascinating to me. Yeah, no, that's a that's a super interesting thing. Um, because the Valarok are are actually the Balrogs that I'll talk about here in a second. But like Sam's saying, just the fact that he adds that hard K and the hard R in there, it it's almost similar to just the story where Melkor corrupted something beautiful, you know, to turn it into towards his evil purposes. Tolkien's doing the same thing with his language, taking a beautiful word and corrupting mm-hmm. it into something evil. Yeah. So it's yeah. interesting to see the parallel between not only um, his story, but the way his languages feed into his story. Mm-hmm. So the Balrogs, we've probably, uh, I mean, obviously you've probably heard of these. If you know anything about Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings, you probably went and saw the Fellowship of the Ring early on uh, and saw Gandalf die to one of the Balrogs and it was a wrench on your heart and ah, you fools fools but you didn't know what they were they're just like who the heck is this why is he here um these were actually like the main like minions if you will not i mean obviously they're better than orcs they're they're technically equivalent to myar yeah but they Tolkien says that there were like hundreds of them and they did battle against the elves and and men and i think it was uh Huron's brother. Turin? No, that's his son. I think Sorry. it's Huor. 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 Um, actually kills like three or four of them uh, during the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. And so like they're, you can kill them, but it yeah, you got to be something pretty special to kill them. Um, I mean, you but, think about like, how did Melkor get so much power? Well, through the Balrogs. Like Gandalf barely beat one of them. And thankfully right. he did. But like Gandalf, am I, are the wisest barely beat one on a one-on-one combat. Like imagine these things just slewing through men and elves, like just taking, taking people's heads off, like no problem. Like they are just insane. Yeah. They're, they're the commanders of his army. They're like the, you know, the vanguard that goes in first They're um, They're just incredibly powerful. Um, They're described as dreadful among the spirits that he corrupted. um, And they were known as the scourges of fire and demons of terror. Uh, and like we were just talking about, he used them to great effect in the wars against the elves. Every major battle, um, and there's a ton of them. I believe there's like five major ones and then some smaller ones as well. Um, the Balrogs make an appearance. We talked about them briefly last episode when I mentioned that Glorfindel fight, died fighting one at, during the fall of Gondolin. Uh, remember, Glorfindel was the elf that that died. It got sent to the halls of Mandos and then got sent back and was like reincarnated and actually was a bit pretty big player for part of the fellowship of the ring. Mm-hmm. And so during that same battle, Ecthelion, which is an interesting name, cause that's actually Denethor's father's name yep. from 
you know, the return of the king, if that name rings a bell, he's the Denethor is the steward of Gondor, son of Ectelion. Mm-hmm. So his father was named after this elf. Um, and this elf was a pretty big player in the, in the kingdom of Gondolin, which was the hidden kingdom. It was the secret kingdom. It was the kingdom that Morgoth desired to destroy above all else because he just, he couldn't get to it. He didn't know where it was. He couldn't find it. He knew how strong and powerful they were, but he could never find it. But once he finally found it, it was, you know, he had to get rid of it. And so Ethelion was actually like the, the door warden for these gates, these beautiful gates um, to, to Gondolin. And he was also known for having the most beautiful voice. And he was the most talented being on all of earth with a flute. So he's a pretty, he's a pretty cool guy. Yeah. That's pretty neat. And Ethelion actually died fighting Gothmog who is the Lord of Balrogs. Um, so he took out the head honcho Balrog during the, the fight of Gondolin. And when that happened, it helped, you know, some people escape um, through some secret tunnels and whatnot. But uh, I just, I thought that was interesting and kind of tying yeah, back absolutely. to like PJ and what he did with the movies, the goofy faced orc and the return of the King that, mm, you know, kind of the, he, yeah, the, part of the tower or part of the wall that they throw during the battle of the Pelennor fields, they yeah. trebuchet it over and he just watches it, steps to the side, spits on it. And everybody's like shocked. He's actually named after Gothmog, the, the Lord of Balrogs. So it's just some interesting tie-ins. And then yeah. obviously the tie-in that, you know, and love um, with Gandalf. Uh, so this is equal against equal, right? So this is Gandalf yeah, Meyer Meyer Meyer. Yeah. fighting against a Meyer. And so when, when Gandalf um, says like, I am a servant of the secret fire, dark fire uh, or dark flames will not avail you flame of Udun or something like that. Basically mm-hmm. he's saying, I have power that was given to me by Eru. I am a servant of the secret fire, that fire that lights the world. I'm a servant of that. And you're a servant of the dark fire of Udun, which was another name for Morgoth or Melkor's stronghold. And he's like, this won't work. Like you, you can't beat me. I, you know, so it's, it's a super interesting tie-in to, you know, everything that happened previously, but you might be wondering like, how the heck did this guy even end up in Kaza doom? How do you end up in Moria? Um, and so the Balrog, um, after, after the war of wrath and Melkor was defeated, he, his, his, uh, minions, if you will, just kind of scattered and fled and took off running and so this is this particular balrog just happened to fly to the deepest depths of the mountains um to the misty mountains and he was actually known as durin's bane you might have heard the phrase they dove too too greedily and too deep so that's that's the dwarves digging for mithril in moria and that's actually how they awoken or awoke the Balrog that had fled. And so he'd been chilling out for thousands of years under this mountain. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, guys, don't disturb me. Like I'm, <laughs> what are you doing? And turns out it was a very bad thing to do, but that's also why, like, you mean, you might, you might think when you're watching the fellowship, of the ring, you see the fellowship get surrounded by, you know, the thousands of goblins that are there in Moria and then they all run away and you're like, okay, come on. That seems okay. That's, that's convenient that they all just run away when you hear the sound of the Balrog, but like legitimately, the Balrogs were terrifying. And like, yep. I mean, it, it may seem very convenient to the watchers of Lord of, of Lord of the Rings of Fellowship. Cause like, Oh, like they're about to die. They got swarmed, but no, the Balrog was not something that these orcs wanted to mess with. They, they didn't want to be on his bad side by any means. Right. Uh, Cause they saw what happened to the dwarves. Well, and kind of along that same thought process, I mean, the orcs and the Balrog, you think they're on the same team. Whereas in reality, um, they were in the same team thousands of years ago, but these orcs don't know what the heck is going on with this Balrog. He just kind of shows up. And I mean, yes, they both hate the fellowship, but that's not to say that they're, they're on the same team. Yeah. Balrog wouldn't care to wipe off half the orcs in, in the process. Exactly. Exactly. And just kind of a last little note, you can see the, the pain in Legolas's face and Galadriel's face when the fellowship finally gets out of Moria and, and the fellowship of the ring and they get to Lothlorien and they get entered into, um, you know, the beautiful trees, the beautiful melon trees and Gladriel's like, where's Gandalf? Uh, or no, uh, 
Celeborn says, where is Gandalf? For I much desired to speak with him. And you can see it through Legolas's eyes and Gladriel's eyes. They kind of do that weird, like eye communication thing. And then Legolas says he was taken by both a shadow and a flame, a Balrog of Morgoth. And so just something to think about, like Legolas wasn't around during these battles, but his father, his grandfather probably were. Yep. And so because of that, he knows the history of just the terror that these Balrogs could wreak on through, you know, of all elf banes, he's, they're the worst. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. That's just kind of a quick summary on the Balrogs. I know I went a little in depth, but there's a <laughs> lot of connections between, yeah, yeah. between, you know, the, the first age and the way Morgoth used them. And then even later on through the Lord of the Rings. Yep. This leads us into a guy we've talked a lot about already, a guy, you know, a lot about. Sauron. Uh, Sauron is a Maiar, also known as a Gorthar, the Cruel. He was the Maiar of Aule, actually, from whom he learned pit, uh, plenty prior to his fall under the dominion of Morgoth. So we talked a little bit about it, but Melkor, once he went bad and turned into darkness, he was then referred to at that point as Morgoth. Again, you you think of that hard G, hard R, just like a kind of a a scary name, a evil name that he's given. And then Sauron is, becomes one of his servants. He buys into Morgoth's lies. He buys into the charm of Melkor and he becomes the greatest servant of Morgoth. And um, Tolkien actually says that he was only less evil than Morgoth because he decided to serve someone rather than himself. So we talked a lot about it. Morgoth is incredibly selfish, only wants something good for himself. And, that's the only difference between Sauron and Morgoth is that Sauron was actually willing to please his master, Melkor. And uh, so I thought that was interesting. interesting. Yeah. How yeah. You know, he's, he's that evil still, but you know, he, again, he's, he's a bit of a coward. He's a bit of a people pleaser as we'll, as we'll get into, uh, but he's known for a bunch of stuff throughout. Uh, he's actually the only character that you see throughout the entirety of all the ages. Um, if you mm. think about it. And uh, he is literally the title of Lord of the Rings. Who is the Lord of the Rings? It's Sauron. So you think <laughs> he was the Lord. Yeah. He was the Lord. Yeah. So he he's kind of the main character in a in a weird, uh, weird way. But yeah, he battled uh, Fenrod Felgond, king of the Nar- of Nargothron and Gladril's brother. And he won during the Lay of Luthien as Felagond attempted to help Baron in his quest to steal a Silmaril. I'm so excited to get into that um, story later on because we see Sauron. He's done a, he can do incredible things. He's a shapeshifter. He, he turns into a wolf, a vampire. Like you don't think werewolves and vampires have anything to do with Tolkien's world. Right. (laughs) But read the Silmarillion, read Baron and Luthien. And you're like, oh my gosh, like vampires, werewolves, like these, these characters that we wouldn't have necessarily put in the, in the realm of middle earth. And yet, you know, Sauron, he, he turns into these different things. He also can turn into a, a really good looking elf um you know that yeah what, what's his name anatar anatar that's gifts. right anatar the lord of gifts you know so he has that kind of charm that melkor probably taught him how to deceive people and lie and, and give these gifts um obviously he corrected the men of numenor and convinced them to do blood sacrifices to morgoth so that's pretty that's pretty deep and pretty pretty dark um which obviously led to their their downfall um, but we know he created the rings of power, um, which is what the Amazon TV show is supposedly called. I don't know how much it will actually involve Sauron. I hope it does. I'd love to see. That'd be cool. I'd love to see Sauron in more of the light. But if they don't have the actual rights to the this portion of it, I don't know how that's yeah. going to work out. But we'll have to see. We'll have to see. We're trying to be somewhat optimistic here. But he makes the rings of power. He corrupts uh, the men. Obviously, has the nine ring wraiths leads into Lord of the Rings and eventually overthrown by Frodo and Samwise Gamgee. Although I can't give all the credit to Frodo. I've been, th- I've been thinking about this cause I just finished the return of the King and I know we're not, we're not really supposed to be talking about this right now. We're talking about uh, the Silmarillion, but I, I, I need it. to get this off my chest. <laughs> Frodo did a great job. Kudos to Frodo. He, he made it all the way to Mount doom with the ring, which is an incredible feat right? No man could have ever done that. No elf could have ever done that, right? right. They would have probably been deceived and, and turned to the power of the ring. Frodo doesn't do that until the very last second. He gets up to the edge of Mount Doom and he can throw it away. He can destroy it and he can't. He can't. He takes it for himself. It corrupts him at the very end. Thankfully, Gollum is there to bite the finger 
off of him to bite the ring off of him. And then he slips and falls into Mount Doom very, very conveniently. But then the whole rest of the journey for Frodo, there's another like what four, four or five chapters in the book after that. And you can tell Frodo is just the way I took it. And I've read it a few times. This is the first time I've really thought about this, but Frodo just felt deep shame for his actions. He felt like a failure almost. I mean, it, it doesn't say that, but just the way that he interacts with people, you know, Mary and Pippin are all excited and, and Sam is excited. Like when they get to come back together and they, the crowning of the King and, you know, the journey back Frodo, like Tolkien specifically mentions Frodo got sick really, really badly a couple times. Um, and he just felt awful. He was really quiet. He was down. Gandalf's like, Hey, you doing okay. He's like, yeah, my, my wound still hurts. He's like, yeah, that's not gonna, that's never going to heal. You have darkness inside of you. That's never going to heal. And I just, I can't help but think that he just feels the weight of the shame of, of kind of failing his quest. I mean, you think about it, like he, he succeeded and yet he didn't, I don't know. Again, that's my own interpretation after like my fifth reread of the, of this trilogy. (laughs) And, and so maybe I'm, I'm off on that, but I could just tell he, and he needed to get out of this world. Obviously he gets on the, the ship and he goes to the undying lands, which is pretty neat. Um, kind of a full circle connection because he goes with Bilbo and other ring bear and Gandalf, which I'm sure yep. Gandalf was rarely really excited to get back there. Yeah, um, I bet. And even Sam uh, Frodo says to Sam, your time might come, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause he was a ring bearer for a brief period of time. I think that's an interesting take on Frodo. Um, I never thought about it from that perspective. I can definitely kind of see it though. He's still kind of the the leader of the hobbits of the four hobbits, but he's mm-hmm. much more subdued in how he does it. He's yes. he's like, you guys go take care of it. My part is done. You know, like I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to get in the middle of all this. Here's what you can do. Go yeah. take care of it. Um, yeah, but I think maybe you're right. Maybe he he does have some shame for the you know failing at the task right at the right at the climax of of his main quest. You know. Mm-hmm. That's, that's an interesting take. Yeah. I don't know. I just like thinking about it because again, Tolkien talks about it multiple times. And even when Aragorn talks about, you know, how important the hobbits are, you know, Frodo's feeling in the back of his head, like everyone can see I'm missing a finger. Hmm. Like everyone knows, like, why are you missing a finger Frodo? Like nobody's yeah. People are like, what happened to it? And to actually have to say, well, I gave in and I turned bad. And Gollum bit it off, thankfully. Like, I mean, there's shame with that. Like, that's a scar of his sin, in a sense. And that's it's stuck with a, him. And... Yeah, it's something. It's a constant reminder. Yeah. 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 It's something he has to always look at and be like, yep, I I didn't quite make it. So, I don't know. Again, interesting uh, rabbit hole that we probably weren't that's expecting what, to go down. But. Yeah, that's all right. That's what's beautiful about Tolkien's works is you can start in one end area and end up in a completely different and then you sit there and make these judgments for yourself and yeah like like we talked about Tolkien didn't want to force you into a line of thinking he wanted to provide something that was applicable to you in whatever stage of life that you're in and then you can come up with your own um yeah you know tie-ins so I think you're doing exactly what Tolkien would have wanted I mean, I don't know if I have any deep, dark shame that I'm like trying to repress or anything. But <laughs> no, no, I no, just I get, mean I get, thinking I about it saying. from that perspective. Yeah. I, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Well, I think it's interesting that we thought this was going to be one of our shortest episodes uh, because it was literally longest. two chapters <laughs> and it is the longest. It is the longest at this point. Um, no, it was uh, like two chapters. It was two pages. And that's what I meant. Yeah, sorry. Two pages of the Silverillion. <laughs> <laughs> and yet here we are hour and a half later. Uh, oh, boy. But man, I hope you enjoyed this This conversation i know i did our next section what is it seth gondor, gondor calls, calls for, aid. for aid yes gondor calls sure for what you aid. Meant exactly i was just like like can i have you say like gondor calls for say for aid and then there you I go jump in but that's right <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll get we'll get better we'll get this yeah we're, we're novices guys but this is the point where we break into the halls of metaseld and shout gondor calls for aid will you rohan answer our call if you enjoy the podcast please light a beacon by sharing it with fellow friends and fans also don't forget to like subscribe and leave a review good or bad whatever you have to say uh, we've already got one interesting review <laughs> seth and apparently i love the, the subtitle too pride goes before the downfall right right and but so yeah it's it's con- constructive feedback we like it um so yeah let, like us <laughs> subscribe leave a review 
And if you want to share your Tolkien story with us, something that we will actually read here on the podcast, you can email me at podcast at gmail.com. I changed it for you. Are you, are you happy? I am so proud of this. I mean, marriage was a big deal. I was proud of you <laughs> moving out to Kentucky, getting this job as a youth pastor. I'm proud of you. But this might be the pinnacle. I, I don't know. I think it's all downhill from here, bud. Yeah, I peaked. <laughs> I made a new email. I peaked. That's as good as I can get. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you can email at weckpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your stories because Tolkien has made such an influence on us. And I'm sure it has on you if you're listening to our, if our, to our podcast. Well, join us next week as we dive into a brief history of the Silmarils and their importance in Middle-earth. I'm excited for that conversation. Thank you again for joining us for some well-earned comforts. And until next time, we bid you a very fond farewell.